0: following is a talk by Brian Terrell at Mary House in New York City on the Lower East Side on the efficacy of arrest to engender peace and positive social change. Brian is a longtime member of the Catholic Worker Movement and writes for the National Catholic Reporter and the Catholic Worker. He is a member in several peace activist groups, including Voices for Creative Nonviolence and Witness Against Torture. When not protesting, marching, fasting for peace, or getting arrested for his civil disobedience, Brian lives and works on his farm in Malloy, Iowa, with his wife, Betsy. Recently, he walked 100 miles in Georgia in support of several activists who had trespassed onto the Kings Bay Naval Station in Georgia and who are now facing serious federal charges. Becky and I had a conversation with two of these brave peace activists and Catholic workers, Carmen Trotta, and Martha Hennessy on Bar Crawl Radio, number 46. Well,
1: right, I, I, Give it up. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's, a, it's a real pleasure and honor to, to, to be here. Um, these, I came to the Catholic Worker here in New York first in 1975, and these wow. Friday night meetings were very important, part of my, part of my education. And um, I was here for... Just briefly, I was here for four years, and then went to the Davenport Catholic Worker in Iowa. And after seven years there, and I married, and our Betsy and I had two kids there, we moved in 1986 to a farm in southwest Iowa, where I still live now. And uh, 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 these last years especially, I've been home about half the time. I work with Voices for Creative Nonviolence, and also with the Nevada Desert Experience. So I've uh, uh, about half the time in southern Iowa, and half the time I'm anywhere. I'm, I've been visiting Afghanistan about once a year for the last 10 years, uh, and I'm sometimes in jail. I was there uh, most recently uh, uh, for four days, starting on Good Friday, after walking from, Deva- from Las Vegas to the nuclear test site uh, to protest the nuclear weapons. Uh, and the, and, the, and the land stolen from the indigenous people, of Western Shoshone, who have the uh, title to that land, that it was taken from them. Um, and I'm glad to be here before the Extinction Rebellion, because I'm finding this group uh, very interesting. We worked with them this last year, uh, in this last April in Nevada. And it's encouraging to me for a couple reasons. One is that... You know, I'm from probably the last generation, last year, end of the generation of ducking under my desk at school. Uh, a fear of nuclear nuclear war—it you know, was an absurd exercise, psychological. Brian, we had me- the movie on a Friday night about a month ago. Okay. The Comet Cafe. Oh yeah, the yeah, I'm So. Are so, you in that picture? <laughs> But but I I think what's been frustrating over these last years is the danger is still there. When we were kids, it was instilled in us that a nuclear holocaust was possible, that it was imminent. It could happen. You could hear the siren, and it could all be gone. And the the danger has been with us consistently, more or less, over the years, but people have been just oblivious to it. Uh, We've been going on as though we can go on you know, as, as, as though what the things that are around us are, are, are very permanent and the precarity is something that sense has been lost and I'm, not that I'm glad to see young people scared again, but I'm really glad to see young people taking very, very seriously what, you know, the danger that we are in. And also they are understanding that politics as usual, pro- politics as we've been practicing it. Is not sufficient to deal with the problems that, that we're facing, and uh, you know that, that 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 what our times call for is a rebellion, is a revolution in, in in earlier terms. And as I was, one reason why I wanted to bring this here is I was in. Uh, I've been coming to New York more often in the last couple of years about coming and joining people protesting the the, the the Saudi war in Yemen that the United States is is assisting in um, which I see very much as a part of what the the extinction rebellion is talking about because this is the, the there are thousands of people dying and millions of people in danger because of the scramble for the last fossil fuel on the planet and those people who are dying are victims of the you know, maybe the, the the harbingers of the of the extinction that, that we're all in danger of. Um, but I was here a few months ago, and Joe Fahey he was speaking here from Pox Christie, and he was talking about all the uh, programs of uh, and universities of peace studies that didn't exist before, but exist in so many pro- proliferated in the last decades. But he said, and I think strangely that he. Uh, Always discourages young people from civil disobedience, and uh, because Tom Cornell was speaking, I had my chance to ask a question. But there's so many things to to to, to argue about that I didn't <laughs> I didn't go to that one. Uh, but but I have a concern. Um, I want to be very clear. Uh, one uh, one friend, when she heard what I was going to talk about, said, "Oh, you're going to tell us." How we all need to go to jail, and uh, it's kind of taken aback by that. I don't. I. I don't want to do that. I. In these really perilous, scary times, I have a hard enough time figuring out what I'm going to do every day, to tell other people what to do. Uh, but I do think it's something that needs to be considered. Uh, just when I left on this trip, I. I started rereading Thomas Merton's conjectures of a guilty bystander. And something that that caught me as I was thinking about this is he was warning people not to look for answers in this book. Um, He said, I'm not in the market for the ready-made and wholesale answers so easily volunteered by the public. And I question nothing so much as the viability of public and popular answers, including some of those which claim to be the most progressive. Another proviso is Dorothy Day has been quoted as saying, fill the jails. All the authorities agree that she said it. But like, don't call me a saint, and like all our problems stem from our acceptance of this filthy rotten system, nobody can find where or when she said it or agree when this happened. It's amazing to me that somebody who, very few people on this planet have been so documented (laughs) about what they actually said, that somebody could be most famous for things that they might not have said. But still, it, it came from the Wobblies. She didn't invent it. And uh, Gandhi uh, Gandhi said earlier, um, social betterment never comes from parliaments or pulpits, or fr- but from direct action in the streets, from the courts, the jails, and sometimes even the gallows. And I just like to say, I, I really do think that in these horrible times um, that nonviolent direct action does offer hope, not just for healing of the planet, but also for the health of our movement and for, the, uh, for our spiritual health and for the, all the, 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 the malaise that inflicts the souls of all of us. Uh, Mark Colville a good friend uh, from the New Haven Catholic Worker who's now in Georgia waiting trial for the King's Bay action. Um, and he wrote a piece, <clears throat> Rattling the Bars of My Cage. And he said this, One of the blessings that has flowed in abundance during this time of incarceration is re- recollectedness, a mental and spiritual focus which I often find difficult to access, with any consistency, out there in minimum security. A jail cell, which he says is uh, an apt description of U.S. society these days, a jail cell can be very effective at stripping away the illusions and delusions about what defines me, what sustains me, what locates me in the world. It's more than a radicalization of thought and conscience that becomes prominent and most hopefully permanent when viewing the world from the perspective of the bottom. At a more fundamental level, with time, there comes the possibility of a kind of rebooting of the self. As a desert does its work on the ego that can so easily impede the work of the Holy Spirit in a habitually unrecollected soul such as mine, notion of discipleship in a culture of death gradually shifts from the realm of the spiritual aspiration to a deeply felt invitation to move from here to there. This is the well that I have been drinking more thirstily from as the weeks have turned into months. and I must remember to thank the U.S. District Court for its obvious devotion to my spiritual health. (laughs) And he quotes Jim Douglas, um, In contemplating prison consequences, which may be measured not so much in days and weeks as in months and years, I must confront the reality of prison not as an interlude in a white middle class existence, but as a stage of the way of redefining my life. Uh, As a young woman, Dorothy was first jailed for uh, uh, supporting the, the, the vote for women. Uh, those years ago and she wrote from, from jail she, she wrote in her autobiography The Long Loneliness uh, reflecting on that time uh, she said I lost all consciousness of any cause and I could only feel the darkness and desolation all around me that I would be free again after 30 days meant nothing to me I would never be free again, never free, when I knew that behind bars all over the world, there were women and men, young girls and boys, suffering constraint, punishment, isolation, and hardship, for crimes of which we are all guilty. Eugene Debs, a great uh, influence on Dorothy, uh, he refused to serve in uh, World War I. And was sentenced to 10 years in prison and stripped of his citizenship. And uh, he told the sentencing judge after he'd been in jail for, for months awaiting trial. He said, Your Honor, years ago I recognized my kinship with all living beings and I made up my mind that I was not one bit better than the meanest on earth. I said then and I said it now, while there is a while there is a criminal, while there is a lower class, I am in it. While there is a criminal element, I am of it. And while there is a soul in prison, I am not free. So I came here. I said in 1975, and a couple of years into my stay, um, a bunch of the folks in the house here, the two houses including Dan, went to, uh, who's here, Uh, went to um, Seabrook, New Hampshire, building a nuclear uh, power plant there. And there were huge demonstrations, um, lots of people getting arrested. And they were, uh, for the most part up to this point, it was the kind of catch and release arrest that we often go to, where the expectation. Is you're going to get handcuffed, taken to a police station, searched, take your ID, give you a ticket, and let you out the door. You should never count on that. <laughs> and the governor took it into his head to to step things up and called out the national guard, and they they put people in the <laughs> gymnasiums and armories and held them for for a lot longer than than, than were expected and. About that time, I, it was not a chore that I usually had, but because of people being away, we, we filled in. And I, I uh, uh, brought Dorothy her, her lunch. At the time, she was sometimes coming downstairs to eat and sometimes not. Uh, when I walked in her room, she just gave me a cold, hard look. What are you doing here? Your comrades are in prison. Why are you here? And I tried to explain, defend myself. <laughs> you know, I'm working on the soup line. I'm doing all these things. Other people are away. I'm, you know. And she told me that it was reprehensible that I was using the works of mercy as an excuse. <laughs> Well, I'm not saying that would be advice she would give to everybody as I think about it. One thing I always get a chuckle over, I'll read in a lot of biographies of Dorothy, things written about her, that she insisted that the young Catholic workers who come to volunteer all go to daily mass. Daily mass was something she she insisted on. Well, she told Stanley Wisniewski that, that he had to go to mass every day. Dorothy knew Stanley and knew that's what he needed. You know, I was pretty much a daily communicant in my years here. And Dorothy was always glad to see people at mass, but I don't, she didn't like make, it wasn't like a requirement or anything. So, so she was talking to me, and it was still out of line. I didn't a couple things have happened since then that that brought some light to this. And one uh her uh Robert Ellsberg edited. <laughs> Her letters, um, and I especially spent paid attention to what she was writing about the times that I that I was around here and that I knew her. And she wrote a letter in May nineteen seventy seven, through the time of this that same time, <coughs> to a friend that helped me understand. She wrote. With everyone else taking responsibility and having taken it for so long, bearing so much, I feel like an utter failure run dry. But I'm beginning to recover from the miserable state of depression. Meanwhile, I pray, listen to the radio, and thank God that the great demonstration at Seabrook is over. And a year a year later, I was vindicated in her eyes for a little bit, and only recently again have I come to really understand what this what this means. As the the columns have uh, turned to yellow and cracked uh, over the years, but in uh, June of 1978, just over a year later, Dorothy wrote this. Um, I rejoice to see the young people thinking of the works of mercy as truly revolutionary but nonviolent program. The spiritual and corporal certainly go together and often involve suffering. To oppose nuclear buildup has led to the imprisonment in this last month of two of our workers, Robert Ellsberg and Brian Tarrell in Rocky Flats. In Colorado. Meanwhile, I am confined in another way by weakness and age, but can truly pray with fervor for those on active duty and sternly suppress my envy. Sternly suppress my envy at the activities Mm -hmm. of our young and valiant workers. Um, Peter Dostoevsky, one of Dorothy's favorite writers, wrote, the degree of civilization in a society can be judged by entering its prisons. I think especially in a society such as ours with, with experiencing such mass incarceration, it's probably true more than, than other societies is what speaks most about our society now is what's happening to children at the border being detained. It's, a, it's the supermaxes. It's what's happening at Rikers Island. It's what's happening uh, I, on, a, on a regular basis. I visit the... Uh, when I, go to, when I go to Las Vegas, I always hope that the other tourists on the plane don't ask me what hotel I'm going to stay in, because it's going to be the county jail, and I, and the, 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 the Clark County Jail in Las Vegas. It really is a mere, it's a, it is just as extreme and extravagant as any of the floor shows in Las Vegas, in its cruelty and, and, and the horror of, of the place. Um, Gail is here. We, we, we spent uh, uh, at least forty eight hours in the jail in Tegucigalpa. <laughs> in a very short time in in Honduras, it was very eye opening. You know, we have it, it was a we we got a, a, a condensed uh, <laughs> visit to the place by by by, by being there. So. For in Dorothy's view, jail is a good place to be educated. She didn't think very much of the university as a place for education, though. Sorry, Dale. <laughs> in uh, 1948, she wrote to Addie Bethune, I do not think much of degrees in graduating. Uh, in later years, Dorothy, who dropped out of University of Illinois after a year, was given Offers of honor degrees from at least sixteen universities, and she said, uh, "The very offer of an honorary degree means that, in a way, that in a way, I have failed to convey to popularize Peter Morton's teaching."
0: <laughs>
1: so she wrote to the. Uh, she was always gracious. These letters of, of many of the letters uh, exist of her turning down these 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 honors. Uh, she wrote to. Catholic University of America, the president of that school, the Catholic worker stands in a particular way for the poor and the lowly, for people who need some other kind of schooling than afforded by universities and colleges of our industrial capitalist system. I have a deep conviction that we must stay as close to the poor, as close to the bottom as we can, to walk in the little way, as St. Therese put it. See, she also... In that letter, she she held up as an example uh, Julius Nyerere's education program in Tanzania. And I looked into that uh, beautiful idea that that the focus was, especially in this colonial society, post-colonial society, where the very best and brightest were taken out of the community and put in universities in Europe and educated to come back to be in a ruling elite that the idea would be to have an education program that would educate everybody and lift up a whole society. And it very much resonated, I think, with what Peter Moran saying, the workers be scholars and the scholars be workers. Um, John Shushart, as many of you know, Plowshares activist up in New England, um, he once explained that uh, he called the prison a competing institution for higher education with, the univer- uh, with universities. Universities teach about the world from the top looking down. Prisons teach you about the world from the bottom looking up. So <clears throat> for generations of the Catholic worker and nonviolent resistors, Um, jail has been an experience yep. that has redefined our lives, as Jim Douglas puts it. This is less true now, and I think our movement is poorer for it. Uh, and say I, I, I speak with much enthusiasm about the extinction rebellion, and I, I very much appreciate um, uh, the good friends. In the Midwest, the, the you know the four necessity valve turners, there are, there are people making these. Works. I'm not, try- I don't want to categorize a generation, but as much as 20 years ago, any chance collection of Catholic workers, old and young, would have at least a number of men and women, young men and women, maybe most of them, who would have had a uh, spent weeks, months, or years in prison. Um, Until recent decades, I think, there were always more Catholic workers with criminal records and university degrees. And this time of mass incarceration, where there are more and more young people in prison, and there are more and more people of color, young people of color in prison, by proportion than, 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 than even a few years ago, it seems kind of scandalous to me that there are fewer Catholic workers in prison and fewer young people uh, doing this. I'm saying this very, very carefully. But I think it's a scandalous demographic phenomena. And I think this may be critical to um, the difficulty in communicating between um, with the issue of racism in our movement. And uh, I know last year you had a group of people who, who put that together the, the, the uh would lament repair repent lament <laughs> repent repair document. Um, and it was curious that none of those none of those young people who put that document together had been in prison. And it would have been impossible to gather, have that kind of gathering of people to make you know, without somebody. We don't all have to go to prison, but but th- th- that we should be informed by that. That some some of our some of our number have that experience, and that and that, 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 that and that they be listened to, and that, that that's that's been a a, a missing piece uh, to all this. So this perspective was. Lost uh, graduate school has taken the place of prison as a place of formation for a lot of young Catholic workers and young activists. Um, and you know, too much time in school, too little time in prison. It just threatens to paralyze us with abstractions. And again, I think that statement one of the weaknesses of it. It's written in the language of a dissertation. It's written in academic language, which is very, very different from the language of the first issue of The Catholic Worker, for example, that was written for the people sitting on the park benches, wondering what they're going to do next. Um, in doing the, the Vietnam War, Dan Berrigan said this during the Vietnam War, he um, In the course of such a war, one had to go to jail. It was an irreplaceable need, a gift not to be refused. You got arrested, were stripped, your body searched and poked for drugs. You stood in public showers, were issued denims, were herded about, segregated, counted at hours, yelled at. All to the good. And after all, the scene was no Dachau. You would come out of it on the other side, a few pounds lighter, the skin of your soul darkened by insight, the fate of the poor, the blacks, knowing what white justice is for the poor. Uh, Ammon Hennessy, another old-time Catholic worker, told Utah Phillips this when, he went, when Utah Phillips, as a young man, wanted to get involved in, in this life. said, you come into the world, you came into the world armed to the teeth with an arsenal of weapons. Weapons of privilege, economic privilege, sexual privilege, racial privilege. You want to be a pacifist, you're not just going to have to give up guns, knives, clubs, hard, angry words. You're going to have to lay down the weapons of privilege and go into the world completely disarmed. Mm. And to speak about privilege is, I think, admittedly, white privilege, for those of us who have it uh, follows us into jail. I recognize that early on, that there's a real irony. Uh, many times I've gone to jail for refusing to pay a fine. And even the fact that I am choosing not to pay is a privilege that the other people Sorry. I'm locked up with don't have. Especially when I'm getting on the phone, telling my loved ones, No, they'll let me out in let me out in two weeks. Don't you know, don't don't pay the fine. <laughs> and I and I'm hearing other people on the phones in this very closed in situation, other people have an opportunity to get to the phone and they're telling their loved ones, Get the money and get me out and I found you know, meaning to, to be there as as an act of solidarity to be one with them to like, no no I'm I'm Showing myself to be how different I am <laughs> from everybody here, but I, I, I've not talked to him yet about this. But Daniel, uh, one of the one of the young people who did the, the valve turning in Minnesota, and is facing felony charges. Maybe you should tell some of the people here. That okay, a little bit. I I, I I wish I knew more about it. There, there are four people. Uh, one um, Michelle. Obed who's uh, Nar no, obed who's of my, our gener- my generation, and then three very young people, uh, Daniel Allison and Brenna uh, went to in a place in Minnesota where, there, where there's a pipeline that's uh, carrying shale oil, the dirtiest oil through first of all through native native territory again and then through uh, 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 farmland that it's endangering they they went and they turned off the flow and that's being treated very very seriously, messing with the with the with the supply of uh, of uh, fossil fuel and uh i'm not sure what's the, they've had a number of hearings one very recently and they're they, they are facing felony charges and uh One of these young folks has said, I, I, I just saw quoted somewhere where he, he talked about uh, nonviolent direct action weaponizing his white privilege. You know, he's using his white privilege, uh, hopefully to the advantage of, of, of making making some kind of change. Uh, but I was a year year ago in February, in January, the, the the annual Witness Against Torture in in Washington D.C. Uh, I was arrested, uh, calling for closing Guantanamo. Uh, at the White House, and taken in custody by the Secret Service, and taken to the local uh, district jailhouse, uh, police station, and after a couple hours, they released everybody else and the sergeant apologized to me and said, I, I, I know this warrant is bullshit, but a warrant popped up, and I would let you go, but the Secret Service says you got to be held. And it was because a, a judge in Las Vegas was mad at me. It was really something personal, it wasn't anything, was it? <laughs> uh, his abuse of his power, had a warrant for my arrest, and I was held for 24 hours. Until they, the, the, the the authorities in Las Vegas decided they were not were not going to extradite me, so I was 24 hours in Central Cell Block in D.C. and I've been there uh, there and I've been in the D.C. jail many times. First time I was well, first time I was in, in custody in Washington at the D.C. City Jail after being sentenced there. I was with another white guy and the cops had to send somebody in a car to another office because at an odd moment, they had filled out all the forms ahead of time for black people. You know, with black hair and brown eyes, and my uh, my buddy was blonde hair and blue-eyed and just messed everything up. They were not prepared. And, and then when I, well this last time, I was, there were just about 100 men in, in Central Cell Block. I was the only white man. And everybody, the cops and the prisoners all said, what were you protesting? <laughs> Nobody asked, are you a protester? Because of course you're a protester. What are you doing here? You wouldn't be here. <laughs> You know, Everybody else, people of my demographic, are, they're criminals of my demographic in Washington, D.C. I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. You, you will agree to that. But they don't go to Central Cell Block. And I think this is a thing for, for, for me to be in this situation. And, and uh, D.C. especially, if the D.C. Department of Corrections has a white guard, I've not met him or her yet is to go into a place. To go where it's a very educational and I think very healthy thing for us to do sometimes, to go someplace where and to be in um, in a situation where we were working in a house of hospitality or a soup line to go someplace where you don't have a key. The people who have the key are black people. And the people who are setting the 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 the, the you know the the, the uh the you know, the social parameters are, are, are around this. And, I, and I'll tell you, I've never, I felt unsafe only because of my, my, own, uh, my own insecurities. One time in jail that I, that I had, except for that somebody not in a guard's uniform had their hands on me. Uh, six years ago, I was six months at a federal prison camp in Yankton, South Dakota for a drone protest. And I had my hair. When I went in, my hair was lo- much longer than it is now. And I decided to get the most severe haircut of my adult life. And I went to the, uh, an inmate barber, and I just had my hair all shorn off. I thought, prison's a time to experiment with new things. Did you get your nails done? <laughs> 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 uh, so that evening, I was in this dormitory with, with uh, like 40 sets of bunk beds, a very crowded place. And we had our, our uh, lockers in between the bunk beds. And that evening, I was go in my locker. I had my head in my locker going through my stuff. And it's in prison, you have very little privacy. And it's a very, very serious thing to be messing with other people's stuff. So I feel these hands on me. And I'm pulled out of the locker. And the guy turns me around. And, he's, he's, and he sees who I am and just, oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And it clicked to me. I knew what was going on. He was watching out for me. He thought, somebody's in the old white man's locker. <laughs> and he wasn't particular a particular friend, but he was somebody who was, he was watching out for his neighborhood. And I told him right away. I just hugged him and I said, "No, I know what's. I I know what this was. It's okay. It's cool. And, and, you know. And yeah. And we're we're cool. It's not. Don't don't worry about it. He he just felt so bad. That that. that but he was uh, yeah, watching out. So yeah. Um. So yeah, I think um. Yeah, Phil Berrigan even admitted, uh, I don't know if he in his weak moment or a strong moment, he admitted not everybody has to go to jail. But he did say that more people should than are. Um, and I, I just think we need to, uh, you know, and each one of us needs to discern the role we're to play. Uh, Dr. King Put it, we need, everyone needs to protest. You need to protest in your own way, but everyone needs to protest. And Dan Berrigan said that, even said that at a time such as ours, it's a requirement of humanity not to protest the insanity and the craziness going on now, the violence, is to be inhuman. Alice Walker put it that our activism is our rent for living on this beautiful planet. It's an obligation. There isn't an alibi. There's no excuse. But how you're going to do it can't be prescribed by anybody else. It's, it's gotta be, you know, I think maybe for each of us it's gonna be the most important struggle that we're gonna make is say, how, how am I gonna do this? And we have our own talents and the places where we are and the people that we know and the influences that we can bear. Uh, and uh, uh, and I also want uh, you know, th- th- that I don't want to dismiss the the contributions made by academics um, and the uh, and, and Dorothy certainly didn't either um, and I know she did encourage many people to, to, to pursue educations um, and I want to be clear I, I don't I don't want to romanticize. Going to prison at all. I think the opposite. I, what I want to talk about is it should be as prosaic and normal as mopping the floor and cooking the soup and working in the garden. Uh, as Dorothy Day quoted in an earlier th- piece of her that I wrote, I think she'd agree to that, that going to jail is a part of the little way. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a small thing. Uh, it does not feel heroic after a few times that you do it. It's a small contribution, and a very, very important contribution. So I think that we are really, um, it, it's a—it's it, it, an essential part. It's a part of a program that can get us out of this mess, and get us out of our own messes. Uh, as Dr. King put it too, and I think the, the, the Extinction Rebellion echoes is that now it's not, the choice is not between nonviolence and violence, but nonviolence and non-existence. Another uh, movement that's exciting and that many of us have taken part in is the Poor People's Campaign, resurgence around the country. Um, and for those of us of our generation, it's fun to see the old songs coming back. <laughs> I was with uh, last summer. I was in Chicago at the Voices office, and Medea Benjamin was was staying with us for a few days, and we were talking about all this. And she mentioned that you know the song "Everybody's Got a Right to Live," uh, old song that that's uh, come back. One of the lyrics that, that Medea took exception with is, before this campaign fails, we'll all go down to jail. Well, I appreciate tradition, and I know that it would wreck, wreck the rhyme scheme, but the lyrics probably, a more op- or accurate and hopeful way to put it would be, and before this campaign succeeds, we'll all go down to jail. Okay, Phil Berrigan said something, too, that um, I think speaks more to our present dilemma than when he was alive, even. Um, So this, in this morally polluted atmosphere, we believe that imprisonment could hardly be more to the point. We shudder under the blows of of a society permanently mobilized against peace, duplicity, propaganda, media indifference, institutional betrayal mark our plight. Our people are confused and hopeless. Let us not give up. Let us continue to nourish each other by consistent and prayerful presence at military installations in courts and lockups. Indeed, we need to be free enough to go to jail. We need to fill up the jails. Nonviolent revolution will come out of the wilderness as it always has. And be assured, one formidable wilderness today is the American prison. And I'll just close with this. uh, Kathy Breen recently sent out a letter about uh, updating us on her friends in in Iraq and Syria and other places. And she closed, John Vanier died very recently, God rest his soul. And she she included a, a letter from him, that, that, a quote from him that I think uh, that, I, that, that speaks to my heart and about where we are today. Uh, we realize what an incredible gift God has given us to bring us together from different lands of pain and loneliness, to become one people. We become more conscious that we are conscious that we are responsible for each other. But perhaps it's too late. Maybe we do not have the inner force to live community. Perhaps you're all too broken. The inner pain is too great. But somewhere in the heart of humanity today, there is a cry coming out from our own loneliness and the injustices and pain of our world. A cry for community, for belonging, for togetherness, and for love. Thank you. Thank you.